shepherding with justice. Justice is a funny concept. I think everybody in here would claim to be all for justice. If we went around and asked everyone, one by one, are you for or against justice, it's almost certain that there would be none against justice and all for. We love to see justice everywhere we go. Big instances or little instances. A few weeks ago, I was flying back from Barcelona where we had Young Life Europe training. We were running a bit late. Someone took the taxi we had ordered. And so we're 20, 30 minutes behind. A few of us have to go and get our visas checked. And then we're standing in the queue, later than we'd hoped to be, in a line of people where two desks are checking in bags. And as I've been standing there for about 10 minutes, which felt like an hour as it does when you're in a hurry and running late, two young university-aged ladies decided to bypass the queue and came and stood just behind some people who were checking their bags in at the desk. Now, I was standing with a bunch of British people, so a few things happened. You can feel the rage boiling up in their chests as the cardinal rule of life, never smash the queue, is violated. But they're British, so their faces remain straight and they don't say anything. But something magical happened. When this gentleman working the desk finished helping the people he was helping, he looked at these two ladies, I think unaware of the situation, and said, I'll be with you in one moment, and he walked away. Meanwhile, to my left, the lady working the other desk began setting records in customer service. One by one, she cleared bags, quickly and efficiently. Very soon it was my turn, and these two girls were still standing there, unattended. I was seen through the line. The rest of my party was seen through the line. And as I looked over my shoulder, the point in the line where they would have been was being met at the other desk while they still waited unattended. And if you're like me, in your heart you say, God does exist and he's just. <laughs> we love little instances of justice. But we love the big moments too. We love when the Third Reichs are brought crashing down. We love to see statues of Middle Eastern dictators ripped from their podiums as oppression comes to an end. We love to dream about the days when those who are oppressing others will meet justice. We love justice. But what about the days when we're running a little later to the airport than even I was? What about the days when there's traffic when the power went out and your alarm clock didn't wake you up, and you have to suffer hundreds of pounds worth of loss, or you've got to smash the queue. Aren't those the mornings where we'd rather lean on grace than celebrate justice? What about the more egregious stuff? What about the big sins? The stuff we try so hard to hide? That if they ever came to light, could cost us careers, could cost us families, could cost us our very lives. In those moments, aren't we actually praying for grace? Aren't we actually praying for mercy? 
We love the scales of justice to tilt when we see big regimes out there we've identified as unjust fall. We become a little more uncomfortable when those scales tipping back to equilibrium are because we've fallen. And this is exactly how this text this morning confronts us. We have an oracle in three parts. First, we can all, first one we can all say amen to. We see the sin and the results of the bad shepherds and God's response to them. Now, this isn't a theme that's unfamiliar to us. It sounds a lot like if it's not thematically identical to what Andrew shared with us last week. Much of what Ezekiel says, you might have pulled straight from Jeremiah. Ezekiel was a younger contemporary. He might have been familiar with the oracle we read last, we read last week. But he's in completely different circumstances. If you'll remember, Jeremiah is under house arrest. He's suffering because he has been giving these oracles that Babylon is coming. And Jerusalem will fall. And so he's suffering for his message. Ezekiel, on the other hand, is one of the first taken into exile. And as he's offering this oracle, it's not from Jerusalem. It's somewhere in the Babylonian Empire. And this means he's been witness to what must have been the most horrifying event in Jewish history. Zion, the city where God dwells, sacked by a foreign invader, taken captive. The people of Israel carried into exile their cultural, religious identity taken from them. And here Ezekiel is, one of the first gone, begins to give us this message. And he says, certainly someone is to blame. God is good and God is just. And he wouldn't let such an action happen to his covenant people unprovoked. So he turns his sight on the under-shepherds. Instead of tending the flock, they've grown fat off the flock. They forgot exactly who they were supposed to be. If you've been here the past few weeks, you've heard by now that shepherding was not a glamorous job. You never were rich off of it. Your reputation was tied to how many sheep survived. The rich, the wealthy, the influential, those were the sheep owners, not the shepherds. Men like Job or some of the patriarchs. Those are the men of prestige. The men who are rich. The men who benefit from the sheep. The shepherds, they're merely stewards. They have no right to the wool of the sheep. They have no right to the meat of the sheep. And yet it goes even beyond that. There were sheep who were hurt that went untended. There were sheep that were sick, that went unhealed. You have not brought back those that have strayed, he says. The rod meant for defending the sheep has been turned on the sheep and used to beat them. The staff that's supposed to be a sign of comfort has become a sign of oppression, used to domineer. So there's a sad irony here, which Ezekiel gets to. He's been calling them shepherds but the sheep are scattered because there actually were no shepherds. A title is just a, a meaningless phrase if it doesn't identify something about the character or the function of the person who carries that title. 
God went looking for shepherds, people who were caring for his flock, and he didn't find any. So what do shepherds do? Or what do sheep do without shepherds? They scatter, and they become food for wild beasts. And yet Ezekiel pushes the image even harder. Not only have you been a bad steward of God's sheep, he says, you have become the wild beasts. You're the ones feeding on the flock, slaughtering them and killing them and eating them. The flock you're meant to tend for has become prey, your prey, and they have scattered. So what is God to do? Well, he does what any good sheep owner would do if the shepherds are rubbish. He fires the shepherds. The events of Zedekiah's disgraceful end might not have been known to Ezekiel. If you remember the story, Zedekiah loses his rule. He's blinded. They blind him with hot pokers. And then they take him into captivity. And though Ezekiel might not have been aware of this as he writes this, his audience, his audience may have been. So you can almost hear the claps, the standing ovations. Yes, our leaders, our unjust leaders, who have led us to this point, have come toppling down. And I don't need to parade a bunch of examples to illustrate that God still does this in front of you. We've all seen this before. We've all seen church leaders, local, national, global, who experience success, whom God seems to be doing mighty and great things through. Let that success go to their head, go unchecked, allow pride to come in. And before long, some sort of scandal, administrative, moral, sexual, financial, is exposed and justice is brought into the situation. We've seen it with political leaders who seem to be doing so much good for the people, and yet they come crashing down. We've seen oppressors topple and fall, and at each time we've praised, we're reminded here that down through the centuries, God does not stand for the oppression of his sheep by the under-shepherds. He does not employ them to become wild beasts. He employs them to defend the flock. So, so much for the bad shepherds. God's rid of it. Hallelujah, we might say. But the sheep are still scattered. Some are weak. Some are sick. Some are injured. But all of them are scattered. I love living in Scotland because this mental picture becomes so much easier, having driven through the highlands or through the landscape. And you can just see countless sheep spread out on a hill. So if we multiply that by thousands, millions even, we start to get a picture of what's happening here. One of my favorite images in all the Bible. God promises to seek out and bring back every sheep. Now this is an intensely personal thing. Not one single sheep escapes. Not one single sheep gets lost. Some are easy to find. Some are bleating and making a lot of noise, screaming as sheep can do. Some are wounded. Some don't have the strength to cry out. Some are caught in thickets and thorns and brambles. Some have wandered down a rock face of a cliff. 
And in each and every instance, God goes after every single sheep. He doesn't leave one behind. It's intensely personal. And doesn't it already ring of the ministry of Jesus Christ? So crowded, so pressed upon, but never too busy to focus in on the individual. To go after the single sheep. When God gathers his flock, he doesn't stand from a distance and scream really loud, hoping that the sheep hear him. He goes after every single one. But after he seeks them out, he has to gather them. Again, the image is intensely personal. Because at this point, what the shepherd has to do to ensure that each sheep is safely in the fold is pick that sheep up, put it over his shoulders, and march it back to the flock. Now you can almost feel the heartbeat of an Israelite thumping in his or her chest at this point. As they're wasting away in exile, not sure when they're going to get to go back to their homeland, this oracle, this promise, God has not forgot any one of you. He knows every single one of you, no matter how loud or how quiet you are, no matter how injured or far away you are. Not one single Israelite will escape his notice. He's going to bring them back. And so you can imagine the amens, the hallelujahs. Our God is just. He's rescued us from the bad leaders. He's going to cast off our foreign oppressors. He's good. He's just. And then the text takes a really sharp turn. Some bone-chilling words. As for my flock, thus says the Lord, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep. You are not innocent, my sheep, he says. You are mine. You are loved. You are valued. Yes, you have been oppressed, but you are not excused. Yes, you've been horribly treated by the Babylonians. Yes, the people I've placed over you to care for you have done a terrible job, but you have also failed one another. What's the good in bringing you back to the promised land if some of you are going to trample it under your feet? If you're going to muddy the waters with your dirty feet? The Lord himself is going to judge between sheep and sheep. And in some cases, it's not going to be very hard. If you have an obese sheep right here and a sheep that's starving right here, it's fairly obvious who's in the wrong. There's not much logic that needs to be applied here. The fat one has been overfeeding itself. And God is going to judge with complete objectivity, with complete equity, and none of us will have anything to say. Some sheep have been neglected. Some have been thriving at the expense of others. But not only have some been neglected, looked over, some have been bullied. Some have used their size and their experience to use their shoulders and nudge some out of the way, on the way to the good pasture, on the way to the good water. And Ezekiel lets the sheep know that being one of God's sheep is not licensed to graze where God has placed you however you see fit. 
Yes, you are loved. Yes, you were searched out. Yes, you were brought back into the fold. But this doesn't give you license to live above your station. You are just a sheep, after all. And here we see the scales, again, tilting back in ways that make us uncomfortable. We're all for corrupt shepherds being brought down. We're all for oppressors coming to an end. But the same justice that's applied to those unjust regimes is applied to the flock. And again, I don't really think I need to get specific with examples here. If you've been around church life long enough, you'll have seen this happen in many different times, in many different ways. You see sheep, no matter how well-intentioned, no matter how good they've been in the past, trample, shove, bully, in an effort to help the shepherd. But I'm convinced we don't actually deal with the text until we put ourselves in the role of the antagonist and ask ourselves the difficult questions. When have we been the sheep who offer shoulders? When have we been the sheep for whatever reason, go charging in and bulldoze every other sheep that's in our way? When have we, as sheep, for our own benefit, grazed and stomped and muddied to the detriment of other sheep? I can think of several times in my own life when this has been exactly me. When I've been convinced when my ideas are good, but I go running headstrong as fast as I can, nudging and bulldozing everyone else out of my way, forgetting that I am just a sheep. No sheep can lead any other sheep out of the valley of the shadow of death. No other sheep can make other sheep lie down in green pastures. No other sheep can lead other sheep to the still waters. Only the shepherd can do that. And so we arrive at the third phase of this oracle. The good shepherd, the shepherd king, the king who's coming, the king of the line of David. The shepherd's going to be the basis of a new covenant. And when the shepherd comes, it's not just the promised land that benefits, but it's all the surrounding areas. Everyone is blessed by the life of this king, by the shepherd. We've arrived at Jesus, our God incarnate, our shepherd king. Great David's greater son. David, who you'll remember, who started out as a shepherd and entered and became a king. But instead, what do we get? A king with infinite riches stepping out of that and becoming our shepherd. Great David's greater son. Never suffering from administrative scandal. Never suffering from moral failure. Always offering us kind rebuke. Always leading us through the valley of the shadow of death making us lie down. When we read about this God shepherd who is our king, who comes, after his one, who comes after his flock one by one, we go to the New Testament. We go to the Gospels, and we see this happening from the beginning through to the end of Jesus' ministry. The shepherd gathering his flock one by one, marching by the Sea of Galilee and seeing a man named Simon. 
calling him out, making him part of the fold. Chatting with a man named Nathaniel, saying, before you were aware of me, I saw you right where you are. Come into the fold. Stopping by a tax collector's booth, someone people would have written off. Come into the fold. We see him marching through Samaria, talking to a woman who's been oppressed by every single man in her life. Jesus, bring her into the fold. Marching through the streets of Jericho in a crowd, coming to a sycamore tree and stopping, seeing Zacchaeus come into the fold. Seeing a murderous religious oppressor on the road to Damascus, stopping him dead in his tracks, come into the fold. This is our shepherd, gathering us one by one because he loves us and demonstrating the greatest act of justice ever by dying for us on the cross. And this shepherd, he's amongst us even now. So we as sheep, maybe we should leave some grass for others. Maybe we should save our shoulders. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of the shepherd. We thank you for the reality that you seek us out one by one. Lord, that even though we are part of the flock, you came after us as an individual sheep. You didn't stand far away calling, but came to where we were in whatever situation we were in, however healthy or however sick, however wounded or however put together. And you brought us into the fold. And you lead us and you love us and you care for us. In light of your love, help us learn to be better sheep. Sheep who let the shepherd do the shepherding. Sheep who don't wander about trampling. Sheep who don't go running headstrong to the detriment of other sheep. We thank you for the reminder that you are just, that you do right the scales. Help us to live on the right side of those scales. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.